0: Today's reading comes from Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2 and 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray for us. Father, we ask you that you would do great things through us as a church across the city. We ask you that you would use your word to continue to transform us by your spirit into the image and likeness of Christ. That we would become more faithful, that we would become more courageous, that we would become more peacemaking in the efforts that we have. And all of the things that, that we're doing as a group And we ask you that, God, today, in this time, right now, Lord, you would open our hearts to believe the goodness of the gospel, that you would open our eyes to behold your glory, and that you would open our ears, Lord, that we might hear your word to us. Speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed we've been talking about, is happy and flourishing and in right relations with God and others. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who intentionally and actively seek peace and reconciliation. For they, and they alone, shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. God is calling his children us his church to actively work for peace and reconciliation and if that is true we need to start with what jesus means in this beatitude when he talks about peace because it's probably not the same thing that we talk about when we talk about peace when the prophets in the old testament talked about peace they used the hebrew word shalom it might be the only hebrew word you know And and you might have a a handle on that one, shalom. And we translate it in our English Bibles, we translate it peace. But it certainly means more than your basic peace of mind or what you could talk about as like inner tranquility. It it means more than uh, the point when enemies stop shooting at each other and stop dropping bombs on each other in an effort to win a war. It means more than that. It includes those things, but it's more substantial than that. So when we see shalom in the Bible, we we see that it means completeness. It means wholeness. It means universal flourishing and delight all under the banner of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way that things are supposed to be. Shalom is the way things ought to be in the world around us. If everything was already the way it ought to be, and if the world that we lived in, everything was going how it's supposed to be, then we wouldn't call it shalom and we wouldn't have a vision for realizing the promise of shalom in our generation and in our lives we would just call it life if everything was going the way that it was supposed to be under god's authority we would just call it life it would just be normal but but the fact of the matter is that we live in a very broken world and because of sin our relationship with god has been fractured, has been broken. Our relationships with one another because of that have also been fractured and broken. And our relationship with, in fact, all of God's creation is fractured and broken. And when we see in Genesis chapter three that we have this this rebellion of Adam and Eve, and then every single person who's ever been born following Adam and Eve, we have a, a fracturing of the relationship that we have with God. It changes the way that we relate to each other. And it changes the way we relate to the whole world. So a biblical picture of shalom, God's peace and restoration and wholeness, a biblical picture of shalom includes God's planet that he has made and, and the one that we are called to care for and, 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 and steward. It includes a biblical picture, or the, the biblical picture of shalom includes relationships that are flourishing and whole rather than caught up in hostility and brokenness. And it includes a picture of of an unhindered, perfectly abiding relationship with God, where we are reconciled to him and abide in him and are united with him and live out of the fullness of that blessing. In the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, um, where, where they dreamed of a new day ahead where God would right all wrongs and where shalom would be over the whole earth, they employed all kinds of imagery to try and communicate this truth they said things like the wilderness would bloom and the mountains would drip with wine they said things like one day people will convert their weapons of war into weapons of harvest and so they would they would melt down their weapons and just turn them into plowshares and so that there would be no more battles going on we We see that there was a time that they talked about when a lion and a child could play together. There's a time when people would work together in perfect harmony, perfectly fruitful, safe, and secure, and that the earth would be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. This is shalom. We see in Isaiah chapter 9, in verses 6 and 7, a text that's read every Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that's Shalom. Of the increase of his government and of peace, that's God's Shalom, there will be no end. So the promised peace that God has promised to his people for his world. It was to come through the promised Messiah, the child who would be born, the son who would be given, and the increase of his shalom would know no end. So when Jesus talks about peace, that's what he's talking about. So in this beatitude, we see Jesus recognize with all of us that things are not the way they are supposed to be, that things in the world are not as they ought to be. And that we have a profound need for peace in our world. And then he actually invites us in, in a a wild picture, I think. He invites us in to be agents of God's peace in the world that we live in. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you, children of God, who actively work for God's peace in the mess of the brokenness and chaos of this world. Blessed are you, Christ City, when you walk with Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and when you take the peace that he gives you and you apply it to every area of your life, every aspect of your life and your relationships and all that you do in your life in the kingdom of heaven right here and now. Blessed, it says are you, you shall be called children of God. So how do we do this? How do we live out of our relationships with him, this blessed life Jesus is talking about, and and how are we to understand ourselves as being invited into the imitation of Jesus, who is the true peacemaker. We need to see that Jesus first is our peace, which means second, we have peace, and third, that we are called to make peace. We see that Jesus is our peace, Secondly, that we have peace. And third, that we are called to make peace. And so when we see that Jesus is our peace and that because of him we can have peace, we then understand ourselves as participating with him in order to make peace in every aspect of our lives. So first, I want us to see that Jesus is our peace. I want to take you to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, which is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And I know I say that about a lot of passages, but this is one of them. In this passage, there's the revelation of the glory and the grandeur of Jesus. And I love to have my view of God enlarged as we look at this text. So it says in Colossians 1.15, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. He died for our peace. He was crucified for our reconciliation with God. The action of God in Christ was to make peace. We are only peacemakers in the sense of this beatitude when we are reconciled in relationship with God who makes peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. And if we don't see that and we don't get that, none of the rest of what I have to say today matters. We are only peacemakers in the sense of this beatitude when we understand ourselves reconciled in relationship to God who has made peace through the blood of Jesus. And the good news of what we're called to do and who we're called to be as peacemakers in this world is only good if we realize how bad the bad news about us really is apart from Christ. So we need to know both. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without God means without peace. Without God is without shalom. It's the absence of shalom breaking into our midst if we are apart from God. Now, to make any sense of what he just says there quickly, you need to know that Paul is talking to a bunch of people who were not born into the nation of Israel. He is writing a letter to people who were born, as we would say, biblically, they called them Gentiles. There's basically two groups. There's the Jews and the Gentiles. There's the Jews and everybody who's not Jewish. And so you've got this view of the world that there are the chosen people of God, the people of Israel, and then everybody else. And he's saying something to everybody else. And he says you need to remember the state of who you were apart from Christ. The whole Old Testament tells us this story of how God chose for himself a people and how those people were the nation of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And then we have the 12 tribes of Israel, and we track that all the way through Genesis, all the way into the New Testament. When Jesus comes and he is born as the Messiah of Israel, the people of God who had been expecting a Savior, that's where Jesus comes. In his arrival, he is born into a Jewish family with lineage that goes all the way back to the fathers of the faith. And then Paul says to everybody else, remember who you were apart from him. Just listen to the language that's used in this passage. You are separated. Relationally. Culturally, traditionally, physically, in all ways, they were separated from God and his people. The language is separated and alienated and strangers with no promise and with no hope and with no God. Without hope, even the historians of this era tell us that there was this fog of hopelessness or a cloud of hopelessness that kind of hung over the people of this generation philosophies were empty and the traditions were disappearing and religions were powerless to help men in life or death help people in life or death and really we need to know the call in this is to remember that is us apart from christ without jesus that's the state of our lives but look at what he says verse 13 he keeps going but now in christ jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both jews and gentiles and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father. So I want us to see something in this about the the peace that Jesus came to preach to us. It's the same message to those who were far off and the same message to those who were near. There is only one gospel. There is only one way. There is only one means of being saved. There is only one way to find ultimate eternal peace. It's Jesus. And the peace he brings and offers us is peace that comes by way of the cross. He is the one who brings us peace. Verse 14 says he himself is our peace. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter what religion you were born into. Doesn't matter if you were born into a religious family at all. Jesus is our peace. You can be brought near by and in and through the blood of Christ. You can be brought near. And in a world that was so segregated and in a world that is so segregated and so polarized, this is a beautifully inclusive offer to all people. Doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter what you've done. This is an offer that extends to the ends of the earth. And that's why Paul is talking about There being a new humanity in Christ. He says that he came in his body to reconcile two people into one people. Jews and Gentiles into the one new humanity. That means that it extends to the ends of the earth. It does not exclude any race. It does not exclude gender. It does not exclude nationality. It is not for one race and one nationality. It is not in any way, shape, or form exclusive in that way. It is entirely inclusive to anybody who will come to him. Jesus came to establish that kind of peace in the world. If you're from a small town in BC, it's for you. If you're from the, the high fashion streets of Paris, it's for you. This peace is for you. If you're a Sikh from Vancouver or you're a Buddhist from Seattle or you're an atheist from Ontario, this, this peace is for you. If you're a new age mystic, like a lot of people in Vancouver, you're just taking a little bit from Buddhism and a little bit from Hinduism, and a little bit from paganism and a little bit from a number of other things, plus your own ideas, you just need to know that this beautifully inclusive offer is for you. This peace that Jesus brings and makes is for you. But you need to know that though it be the most inclusive offer that you've ever heard for peace to the ends of the earth, to all the nations, it is an exclusive offer that it only comes in Christ radically inclusive to the whole world every people radically exclusive in that the only way to take hold of it is christ and no matter what you've done no matter what you've said no matter if you're the worst of the worst or you're the greatest do-gooder that has ever blessed the streets of vancouver you need this you need jesus True everlasting shalom is so good. We don't even have an English word that can explain it. And it's available for you in and through Jesus. Jesus is our peace. Which means, number two, we have peace. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have shalom in your life. You have it. If Jesus is your peace, it means that you have true and ultimate peace and like all of the beatitudes you have that now and forever we see that you shall be called children of god but we understand that that future promise at the end of the age is imported back into our present moment where we understand ourselves adopted as his own we have peace i want you to see something else in this text this peace that we have in christ is is peace that he's talking about here in ephesians chapter two it's a two-fold peace look at verse 14 again for he himself is our peace who has made us both one these two groups of people and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances and so the mosaic law and everything else that we would see attached to that That he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So Christ city, it is a twofold comprehensive peace. Our comprehensive peace that's offered to us in Christ is reconciling our relationship with god if you could say it in that way in a vertical dimension our relationship with god can be reconciled but it's also a horizontal reconciliation where in the work of christ through the work of christ he has united us with all people so that we can have reconciliation across the dividing lines of history people that could not mingle can mingle freely people who were separated can now be brought together in christ Jesus is the peacemaker who makes peace by the blood of his cross and the peace he creates is reconciled relationships with God and with man. In verse 14, it it talks about the wall of hostility. The wall of hostility. It was actually a physical emblem or a sign of the reality of this Mosaic law that separated Jew and Gentile. So in the temple court, there was a wall and that if you were not born into the people of israel you could come and worship god and you could enter into his presence in that way to a point but that wall divided you and you could no longer go beyond that and paul says christ brought the wall of hostility down between us it's one of the most marked separations in the then known world and he says christ obliterates it by his work on the cross to make peace Jesus is the maker of peace with God. Jesus is the maker of peace with one another. He's the one who makes a way for us to be right with God. He's the one who makes a way for us to be right with one another. Blessed, we've been talking about this beatitude. Blessed, happy, flourishing, and in right relations with God and others. This is the work of Jesus. But when we talk about peace, I don't want us to confuse what the Bible says about it. We see in lots of places that God is the God of peace. And when I'm talking about being made right with God, I'm talking about what I want to call peace with God. Peace with God. But the Bible also talks about us having the peace of God. And so what does that look like? We can have peace with God and we can have the peace of God. Let me show you what I mean. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with him. To be justified means to be declared righteous. It's it's like, and I've said this before, the final judgment that every human being will, will endure and go through at the end of the age, when you stand before God at the end of the age, it's like that final judgment is brought into the present moment. And when somebody puts their faith in Jesus, they are then immediately declared right with God. Justified, made right with God. It's declared over us that we are right with God by grace through faith in Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have been past tense for those of us who walk with Jesus. Justified by faith, which means we one day will be recognized in that manner so what does it mean to have peace with god that's the question i think it helps us to start by saying what he does not mean here in this text in romans chapter 5 verse 1 this is not a subjective feeling it's not like when people say oh i feel at peace with god it's not when people walk into an old cathedral and they just go i have an inner calm that's awesome That's just not what he's talking about. It's like when people go into the forest and they walk among the trees and they stand there and they say, I I feel at peace with God in this environment. I say, that's awesome. You should do lots of walks in the forest. It's just not what Romans 5.1 means. All of those things are good and all of those things are true. But what he's talking about is not a feeling of peace or some kind of subjective statement of "I, I feel this. He is telling us the objective truth a statement of truth that declares this war between us and god is over we have peace with god paul's saying before you put your faith in jesus you were at war with god you were enemies of god but now through the justification that comes by putting your faith in jesus you are not at war with him any longer the war is over the absolute reality that we are no longer enemies of god but for those of us who are justified we are his children adopted as his own heirs with christ and you say well who is the war over for who can have peace with god again it is those who have placed their faith in jesus see before i was a christian before i had been justified by faith in the finished work in the sufficient work of christ on my behalf before i put all my hope and all my trust in that i was at war with god and i was seeking peace in this world i was a seeker before i came to know jesus i was trying to figure out how i could have a sense of peace in my life and it was like trying to grasp at a mist i just couldn't grab a hold of it everything i tried it was like it just i came up empty every time i grab a hold and i look and it would just it's gone i was looking for peace just like the world around us is looking for peace just like you are looking for peace but i was seeking peace apart from christ that meant i looked at all kinds of things to make me feel whole to make me feel complete when in actuality the truth is i could never be at peace with god until i received jesus work in my place i could never atone for my sin i could never clean myself up enough to be made acceptable before god i could never feel cleansed or forgiven or whole and that's why it says we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ christ said you can't do it on your own just like it said in colossians just like it said in ephesians our peace comes through the cross of jesus Through the all-satisfying, God-glorifying, sin-atoning, awe-inspiring, enemy-disarming, relationship-reconciling, slave-redeeming, restoration-making, death-crushing, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. We can have the peace of God, and I'm going to get there, I'll talk about that. But what he is saying in Romans 5-1 is that we can have peace with God. And when you have peace with God, he adopts you as his own and we become children of God. And hear me on this. You can never have peace with God aside from the justifying work of Jesus on the cross. In fact, he'll use all of your experiences of anxiety and pain and suffering and trial and tribulation and that absence of peace in your life where you don't have that assurance. He'll use all of those things to draw you to himself. But if you're in Christ, the objective truth is that you have peace with God. It is not a feeling. It's the truth of peace. I was sitting with somebody yesterday who was struggling with this. And I was saying, just because you don't have the feeling doesn't mean it's not true. Just because, and he, this person said, I feel like a wretched sinner. And I said, "That, that that's fine it's just not true of you you were a wretched sinner but now you're the beloved son of god he has adopted you as his own everything that is christ has been made yours and whether you feel it in this moment or not it does not remove the fact that it is true of you and that you have peace with god and he said but i i'm a wretched sinner and i said no you were a wretched sinner now you're a saint who sins And your identity has been completely transformed and you are welcomed because Christ has made peace by way of his cross. And it's not something that you have to feel in every moment for it to be objectively true about you. But it's nice when we feel it. That's the truth of peace. But what about the experience of our peace with God? Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus this is the peace of god it's the inner tranquility i don't know if that's the right way to say it i don't i don't exude tranquility in my life but i do feel god's peace but it's that it's a feeling thing it's a sense of peace it's not just the reality of peace it's all coming together as one package but when you are made right with god and have peace with god you then get to experience the peace of god so Colossians 1 says Jesus makes peace. Ephesians 2 says Jesus is our peace. Philippians, or Romans 5 says we have peace with God. That's the objective truth that we're no longer at war. But Philippians 4 talks about the peace of God, which I think is that subjective feeling of peace. And you and your heart are then guarded. It's guarded in your mind and in your heart in Christ Jesus. And you can rest in the shalom of God having peace with god is the truth of peace having the peace of god is the experience of that peace so if you're stressed out or you're depressed or you're anxious or you're unsettled or you're uneasy or you're worried or you just generally lack peace then you need to hear this because god will not give you peace apart from himself that is one of the most gracious things he does in our lives if we seek peace apart from him he just goes no One of the scariest things I hear as a pastor is when somebody walks away from the faith and then says, I feel peace now. I just think that is a fraudulent lie. God does not give us peace apart from himself. The declaration of peace, that objective truth of the peace we have in Christ, it comes before the experience of that peace. And we live into the peace we have, the end of the war with God. We live into that and we experience his peace in our lives. So Jesus is our peace. We have peace. And third, we are called to make peace. We are called to make peace. Matthew 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now everything else has been introduction. You're welcome. Peacemaking is the work of the children of god when peace has been made we have reconciliation between two or more parties where animosity and hostility previously existed right when peace has been made and the peace that jesus makes is a comprehensive peace it's a reconciliation peace it is a restorative peace it's cosmic peace where he reconciles in himself everything in the universe that is broken it says in Colossians chapter 1, let me look back at it, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to a few, a few things. No, it says all things. To reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus makes peace. He is our peace. We can have peace with God and with one another. Then we can have peace with God that comes with the experience of the peace of God. And the relationships we have with God where we receive all of that then translates into our role as peacemakers in the world. As peacemakers, God has then released us into homes and congregations and places of business and governments and ngos and street ministry and around the tables of corporations around the globe and we are there to bring the peace of god to bear on the situation and when we enter into relationship with god we become agents of his peace in a broken and hostile world we live as people who have had our hearts transformed by the good news of jesus to the point where reconciliation becomes better than retribution reconciliation becomes better than retribution we'll see this later on in matthew 5 where he talks about retribution talks about loving your enemies he talks about anger see the in latin it's called lex talionis is this idea of the law of retribution or the law of revenge really and this is the natural existence of human beings you hurt me i'll hurt you worse right an eye for an eye somebody said an eye for an eye makes everybody blind in the end it can't be the way of the kingdom like you don't get to exist as a follower of jesus and and just take out your your spray paint and paint peacemaker on the side of a missile and then drop it that's not peacemaking Love for neighbor is something that's a given as followers of Jesus. But love for enemy, whether they receive it or not, is the way of the peacemaking work of Jesus. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Therefore, we love our enemies. Where the redeeming love of God has translated into the everyday patience. Peacemaking is where the redeeming love of God has moved itself into forgiveness being offered to people. We show forgiveness to those who've hurt us. Rather than a retribution response, we have a reconciliation response. In the kingdom of heaven, there is a a default response of peacemaking, not war making. Peacemakers are the blessed poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peacemakers are those who mourn the state of the world and the brokenness of the world, for they shall be comforted. Peacemakers are the meek who are promised that they will inherit the earth. Peacemakers are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be satisfied. Peacemakers are the merciful who extend mercy and forgiveness, for they shall be comforted. And they shall receive mercy. Peacemakers are the pure in heart. And they'll see God. And next week we're going to see peacemakers are persecuted. Peacemakers are persecuted for their message of peace. But theirs is the kingdom of God. In the last part of chapter five, as we look at it in some months, we'll deal with anger and retaliation and loving your enemies. It is basically an unpacking of this beatitude. It is basically a list of examples of how to live this out in our lives, which is why Robert Gulick said, peacemaking, therefore, is much more than a passive suffering to maintain peace or even bridge building or reconciling alienated parties it is a demonstration of god's love through christ in all of its profundity the peacemakers of matthew 5 9 refers to those who experiencing the shalom of god become his agents establishing his peace in the world and you say well how are we supposed to establish his peace in this world I think when Jesus sat down in the Sermon on the Mount and those people came and sat around him and he begins to preach to them, I think the crowd is made up of people who have been oppressed for generations, who have longed for the coming of the kingdom, but who have suffered under the thumb of oppressive regimes and under the heel of unrighteous governance in that way. They have been they have been occupied they live in occupied territory where they are not in control but they've got this promise that there's a king who is going to come and there's this oppressed narrative this destroyed narrative this beaten down narrative in the history of their people but they know that there is a promise that there's going to come a ruler one day who will right all wrongs and make all things new they know this the question is how does it come about some of those people sitting there would have envisioned that coming through militarism and revolution and jesus is being really clear i believe in the gospels that the blessed people who shall be called children of god are not those who bring in the kingdom by military force but those who live into the kingdom values of peacemaking right you don't get to drop the bomb that says peacemaker on the side of it and then think that you've somehow lived the way of jesus if you want the kingdom of heaven to come as jesus listeners did you have to figure out and they had to figure out how it would happen and what you'd be willing to do as a participant in it would you side with these zealots which is what they were called who sought to bring the kingdom of heaven through violent means Or would you recognize that the kingdom of heaven had come in Jesus and that he is the one who makes peace by way of his cross? Would you look for militaristic triumphalism or would you look for a humble king who lays his life down for his enemies? And how will you live in light of those truths? This is the question for us as we understand our call to be peacemakers. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old is passed away behold the new has come all this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in christ god was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for christ god making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of christ be reconciled to god so god in christ is reconciling the world to himself and as he pulls people together in christ and he unites us together as the new humanity and he reveals himself as our peace the one who makes peace who is our peace who gives us his peace reconciles us together as the new humanity where we're not divided based upon socioeconomic racial or any other means where we are united as one he's reconciling the world to himself in christ and then when he calls us together that way we then are are Compelled by and sent by the Spirit of God to be ministers of reconciliation in this world. He calls us ambassadors of Christ. And Paul wrote that in the middle of the Roman Empire. And where he wrote that in the Roman Empire, there's a very significant thing. In all of the occupied territories that the Roman Empire had conquered, you did not send an ambassador to a peaceful territory that was okay with you conquering them. You only sent an ambassador to be your envoy there in a hostile nation that did not like the oppressive thumb of the Roman regime. And Paul's saying you're ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, peacemakers sent into a hostile world that is at war with God. And we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. This is the call of peacemaking in this world. Jesus is our peace we receive it and then we transmit it as we live into his kingdom jesus is our peace in the sense that we receive ultimate shalom we receive the shalom that this whole world is unknowingly searching for it's been given to us in christ he makes peace he is our peace we then have peace with god and because of that we can have peace with all people we have peace with god And that comes with the experience of the peace of God. And because we have peace with God and we feel the peace of God, we know that we are commissioned as ministers of reconciliation and peacemakers in the world, just like Jesus says. In Christ City, when we live out of this kingdom value, we shall be called children of God. Would you stand with me as we respond today? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver,